and um, got some people down there now that are trying to sort out what it looks like to make disciples when all hell is breaking loose. But um, yeah, place near and dear to your heart, huh? Not just a place, but people near and dear. Well, our mission statement is on the front of your bulletins there, and uh, it is that we go and we develop devoted followers of Jesus Christ. And it's in white because we live in a dark world and we are the light of the world. And we come to bring good news to them, news that they know not of. And uh, this first part of the year, we're just continually reminding ourselves that this is the great purpose, this is the great calling of God upon the lives of those of us who know Him, and it is part of following Him. Because without the good news, they have no chance to turn from the wrath of God. And they have a horrible meeting with the judge of all the universe. And quite frankly, they live a life that may be enjoyable, may make a difference in some people's lives, but it doesn't add up for eternity. And so we have this great opportunity to live our lives developing other people to become followers of Jesus. Now, this is not a new mission for us. I mean, we restated this two or three years ago. But the great commission of making disciples who make disciples who make disciples who make disciples has always been a part of this church's mission even before I ever got here. But I do believe that there is a shift going on within America and within the Jesus-following church in America. For many years, uh, since I certainly became a follower of Christ in 1974, I think we primarily understood the Great Commission to be go and evangelize lost people. And by that, uh, we would reach people, we might share the gospel with them, but a very viable option was to bring them to church with you. And the church would preach the gospel. And they'd have an invitation, and they'd come down front, or they would use Sunday school or, or other ministries and programs of the church. And while the Father still uses those means, because of the cultural shift that we are in the midst of in America, I think we need to be honest that those means are not as effective as they once were. The reality is that America more and more is a culture that sees God as irrelevant. They really don't care. They certainly don't have time, especially when everything else is offered on Sunday mornings, Wednesday nights, and all the other times. And that's probably the best part of our culture, uh, where they see the church is nice, but I don't need it. There's a growing part of our culture that sees you and me and the church as those who are hateful, who are evil, who are judgmental. And this is all over the place 
whether you're the vice president's wife who teaches in a Christian school, or whether it's the issue of the life within a womb, or even these two ladies who in Arizona who just argued their case before the Arizona Supreme Court of do they have the freedom of speech to say no to certain people. It is all over the place. And yet the reality is, is that the desperate need of people to hear the good news about who God is and salvation in Christ, that hasn't changed one whit. It hasn't changed at all. For God is still as real as He's always been. His standard of righteousness has not budged. Hell is as hot and intensely painful as it ever has been. And anyone who does not hear the gospel and believe in Jesus will experience the full wrath of God. We know that. They do not. And so I believe that God is trying to turn His church and He's trying to turn us as individual Jesus followers to recognize that the church is not the primary place where people are going to come to know Christ. They're not going to walk in here. You wouldn't either if you saw it as a hateful, judgmental place. Now, some do, and if you're one of those this morning, hallelujah, we're really glad you're here. But what God is calling us to do is to make disciples out there, in the places we work, in the Starbucks, in the grocery stores, in our neighborhoods, in our homes. And, and as a part of that discipleship, we disciple them into God's view of the church. And then they come and become a part of who we are. That's a radical change, and quite frankly, a lot of us as followers of Jesus have gotten really lazy over the years, and we've trusted the church to do what is primarily our calling to do as individual followers of Christ. And so I really feel like we're trying to turn this corner where we own this mission statement, and we are the we. (laughs) Not we here, but we as we leave this place. We actually go and we are developing devoted followers of Jesus wherever we happen to be in whatever relationships God gives us. And the the reality is, if they come to know Christ as their Savior, they will change their view of His church. And they will become a part of it. But that's not the first thing. It is part of our developing and discipling of them. And while this is new to us in America, it's not new in most of parts of the world, as Jeff just mentioned in that part of the world. And it wasn't new. It's as old as Christianity. And that's why, in many ways, the New Testament is coming to life for us. And we don't have to make as many leaps as we used to have to make. And thus, Paul's exhortation to his spiritual son, Timothy, is so applicable to us today. So grab a copy of the Scriptures and turn over to 2 Timothy, and we're going to spend a third Sunday in this particular passage. 
Next Sunday, we're going to talk about, okay, how do I knock on the door of people's hearts and see if God's working and see how I might enter in and develop them? We're going to get very practical next week. Not that this isn't practical, but that's kind of a burning question because a lot of us haven't had to be good at this. Uh, but we need to get really, really good at this. So we have worked our way through 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. We're going to jump into 8 through 13 this morning. But I want to go back and read beginning in chapter 1 in verse 3 because I think it adds even more horsepower to what Paul says to Timothy beginning in chapter 2 in the verses that we've looked at. So let me pray, and then we'll jump in, and we'll let God's Word have the effect that He wants it to have this morning. So, Father, we thank You. We thank You for so loving us. Spirit of the living God, would You uh, cause these words to become living and active? Would they help us to see Christ as more beautiful and more bountiful than we've ever seen Him before? And would You just change whatever needs to be changed in us. I mean, we're, we all need some change because we're still here. And so would your word accomplish what you would want in the hands of you, Holy Spirit. And it's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, let me begin in chapter 1, verse 3, um, and we'll come up to where we are this morning. I thank God, whom I serve with a clear conscience, the way my forefathers did, as I constantly remember you, that would be Timothy, in my prayers night and day, longing to see you even as I recall your tears, so that I may be filled with joy. For I am mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am sure that it is in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner, but join with me in the suffering for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and grace, which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity, but now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel for which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher. For this reason, I also suffer these things, but I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that He is able to guard what I have entrusted to Him until that day. Retain the standard of sound words which you have heard from me in the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us the treasure which has been entrusted to you. You are aware of the fact that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phygelius and Hermogenes. The Lord grant mercy to the house of Onesiphorus, for he has often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. 
But when he was in Rome, he eagerly searched for me and found me. The Lord grant to him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you know very well what services he rendered at Ephesus. You, therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, and trust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Let's stop there for a moment. As we jump into chapter 2, Paul turns and he just sets his eyeballs right on Timothy and he gives him those two commands that we've looked at for a couple weeks. Be strong and entrust to faithful men who can teach others also. And we've used that analogy of the canoe because the word be strong is in a passive sense. And what he's saying is, live in the grace of God and you will have a strength that is of God and from God and beyond anything that you can do in your own power and might. And thus, like a canoe going down the river, stay in the current. Stay in the current. If you're not in the current, you've got to paddle like crazy. And there's a lot of times in my own life and maybe in your life where we've tried to live the Christian life paddling like crazy. He says, Timothy, stay in the current of God's grace. And what else will come with that when you're in the current of God's grace? You will entrust the gospel to faithful people who will pass it on to other people who will pass it on to other people. Entrust emphasizes keep it from air and keep it from extinction. And so, you stay in the current of God's grace, and those two things will happen in your life. Now, he says there's some things that will get you out of the current of God's grace. Any of you who know, if you canoe, it takes some effort to stay in the current. Uh, There's some things that just, all of a sudden, you realize, ugh, got to paddle again. I'm out of the current. Or the other reason we get out of the current is it's moving too swift or moving a direction we don't like. And so the freak out factor. And and Paul addresses those through the illustrations of soldiers, athletes, and farmer. And he says you need to understand as a follower of Jesus Christ living in the current of grace, you are in a battle for the souls of people. You're going to get beat up. You're going to get shot at. You're going to get bloodied. You may die. Just understand it comes with the territory. So don't get out of the current because of what you're experiencing if you live for the gospel. Stay in the current. But he says also we can learn from the soldiers that it's easy to get pulled out of being faithful to the one who enlisted us by finding and looking for a more comfortable life, a more safe life. Thus, as Roman soldiers, they could not own property. They could not be involved in any civil affairs so that they could be fully devoted to the one who was commanding them. And Paul says, as followers of Jesus, it's easy to become entangled with things that are not about eternal life. Don't worry. You've got a home in heaven. 
to use the Roman soldier analogy, you'll get everything. So give it up now to whatever extent God calls you to give it up. Do not become entangled. If it's not being used to engage people for the gospel, it's probably an entanglement. And then from the athlete, there's a lot of self-discipline if you want to win the prize. Discipline yourself, as Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 would say. Lay aside the sins and the entanglements that so easily beset us, the weights, the sinful things and other things that just flat slow us down, that we might win. And then the farmer. A hardworking farmer works to produce a crop. And remember we emphasized last week, the point is not just to work hard. The point is to work hard for the right goal. Produce a crop. Produce a crop. There's a lot of hardworking Christians, but their eyes are not on the harvest. Their eyes are not on the crop. And so be a hardworking farmer. And then just to make sure that we understand that there's going to be various applications of this, verse 7, consider what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. So don't look across down the pew and say, I got this one nailed, you're screwed up. As we would tell our kids all the time when they're, you know, correcting or pointing out something wrong with one of their siblings, you're a full-time job. And so just don't worry about other people's application of this. You be faithful to the application in your own life, and I need to be faithful to it in my own life as well. Now the Apostle Paul goes on, and he does something here, beginning in verse 8 through 13, uh, that is another thing that will help us stay in the current of God's grace, developing other people to follow Jesus. And he says, you need to be remembering some things. You need to keep thinking about some things. Now, there's a lot of things to think about in this world. There's a lot. But when you think about what it means, this thing is not working. So can you go forward a couple slides? You're going to find yourself really useful this morning. Thank you. Yeah, go back one. Okay, we'll just stay right there for a minute. Remember, remember certain things, Paul's going to say. He's going to say, Timothy, all of your thoughts need to be flavored with some certain things. Otherwise, you'll find yourself drifting out of the current of God's grace and not developing other people to follow Jesus. So let me ask you, let's, let's do this for a moment. Now, you've got to speak loud because my hearing is not as good as it used to be. When you hear that the calling upon your life is to go and develop other people to devotedly follow Jesus this week, even maybe what I have shared a couple weeks ago, what if, what if you would cultivate conversations and relationships with enough people so that during the year 2019, two people come to faith through your sharing? When you hear that, what things come into your head? What things do you think about? You can be honest. You can always say this is what somebody else thought. But what do you think? Excitement. Okay, excitement. Make a plan. What? Make a plan. Make a plan. 
Pardon? Time-consuming. Be bold. Miraculous. So am I, am I the only one who thinks, I can't do that? Am I the only one who thinks, I don't know how to fit that in? Am I the only one who thinks, I've lived this many years and I've never watched someone come to Christ under my discipleship? Am I the only one who thinks, I don't really know how to bring up spiritual conversations? I I don't think so. Am I? Okay. (laughs) Well, Timothy wrestled with this too. I'm absolutely convinced. I mean, just reading that first part of chapter one, he had a drift towards timidity and pulling back. And so Paul says, here's what you need to keep remembering. Here's what you need to keep thinking about. And he's got one big one here. It's the obvious big one. And then he's got four different uh, applications, if you will, of that one big one. He says, uh, well, let's read verse 8. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descendant of David. And so remember Jesus Christ. He says, Timothy, and he says to us today, let Jesus Christ be foremost in your mind. Now, we we hear this remember thing a lot. If you're in Texas, it's remember what? The Alamo. Yeah, you all knew that one really well. (laughs) After 9-11, it was remember 9-11. Or oftentimes you'll see on cars a loved one who's passed away, and it will say what? Remember whoever it was. Why, why do we say those things? Because we forget. And, 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 it, and it causes us to drift. Now, those are not nearly as significant as this. And this is a good one. <laughs> this is the best one. And so it's kind of a battle cry, if you will. Remember Jesus Christ. Now, a couple fascinating things about this. If you look and read through the rest of 2 Timothy, even what we already read, you'll notice that Paul typically says Christ Jesus. He does that in chapter 1, verse 1. He does that in verse 2 of chapter 1. Chapter 2, verse 1, Christ Jesus. This is the only time in the book where he says Jesus Christ. And it seems to fit what he says, Jesus risen from the dead, Christ the descendant of David. And and what's the emphasis there? Jesus, of course, was the name that the angel told Joseph to name Jesus. And he said what? You shall name him Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. And of course, Jesus is the name which literally means God is Savior, or He is Savior. And so it seems that this first part emphasizes the saving work of Christ, and particularly that He is risen from the dead. The point is that Jesus Christ came into this world and was a person. He lived a life, and there were some who loved Him, but there was many who hated and mocked Him and ridiculed Him. And he was ultimately labeled the worst kind of a criminal by the Jews, a blasphemer. 
and he was labeled a worse kind of criminal by the Romans that he claimed to be king of the Jews. And he was brutally crucified as a common criminal. And yet what? Are you supposed to be constantly thinking about that? No, we are to constantly be thinking about he's risen from the dead. He's risen from the dead. He is alive and well. Why is that important in suffering? He suffered, but what? He is risen. And as He is risen, so will all those who be. All those will be who know Him and trust Him. And so remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead. And remember Him as the Christ. The word Christ literally means the chosen one. The one God chose to bring the kingdom of God, to bring the ways of God. Why? What's the deal here, the descendant of David? Well, it could very well be that what is being emphasized here is that the chosen one was promised to David very clearly, and yet it was a thousand years later before he was born, he lived, he was crucified, and he was raised. What is the point that the Apostle Paul and God is trying to make to us? God's timing is not our timing. Jesus Christ, he, Jesus is the Christ. He is the anointed one. He's the chosen one. He is going to bring the kingdom of God, guaranteed. He's going to establish the ways of God. So don't get so impatient. Just be faithful and fruitful in your role of Him being the Messiah in your life and keep following Him. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descendant of David. Now that next little phrase, according to my gospel, this is the, the next thing that we're to think about, which is of course a part of thinking about how Jesus Christ, the gospel, my gospel. Now translations translate this differently, which means it's a little bit tricky. So if you have an English Standard Version, this says, as preached in my gospel. The New American Standard says, according to my gospel. The NIV says, this is my gospel for which. Now, you may have some other translation, but the point of the different translations is it's a little bit hard to pick up the particular nuance. All those are true. All those are true. I think what is going on here is the Apostle Paul is saying to Timothy, he's saying, you need to understand Jesus Christ is risen from the dead and he is the Messiah. It is the gospel, but it is my gospel. It is what changed me. It's what radically interrupted my life. I was dead in sin. I mean, I thought I was a lover of God. I thought I was putting people in prison and killing people for God. I, I thought all that was true, but Jesus met me. And the gospel became my gospel. He says, Timothy, you need to understand, the gospel changed me. 
And, and when the gospel changed me, man, there's something different began to course within my veins. And now I have, I have this amazing case of that I can't help but tell people the gospel. I can't help but tell people the gospel. It changed me. I know what it's done for me. I know what it can do for anybody. It's not just the gospel. It's my gospel. So here's the question to each one of us today. You may know the gospel that Jesus Christ died to pay for your sins. He was buried. He was raised on the third day. And He's in heaven. But is it your gospel? Has that gospel changed you? Has it transferred you out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of His beloved Son? Or as Paul will say later in this chapter, have you come to your senses because God granted you repentance and you've been freed from being held captive by Satan to do His will? Is the gospel your gospel? Is it the good news? I think sometimes we quit sharing the gospel because of suffering, because we don't fully understand or we have forgotten what the gospel has done for us personally. And I would beg you to go back and recount what the gospel has done for you. And if you haven't yet caused the gospel to become your gospel, I mean, I would pray that even happen as we're together today. That you'd have a follow-up conversation with somebody that you came with, friends, family, come down front, talk to one of us at the end of the service, and say, the gospel is not my gospel. I mean, I had to do that as a 20-year-old. The gospel needs to become our gospel, which doesn't mean we change the truth of it. <laughs> That's unchangeable. It just means it's, it's what has changed us. It's the point of my life. It's the point of what I live for. It's the point of what I'll suffer for. It's the point of what I want to die for. Has the gospel become your gospel? Is the gospel my gospel? gospel. Verse 9, for which I suffer hardship because he lived and breathed and proclaimed this gospel, for which I suffer hardship even to imprisonment as a criminal. But interestingly enough, he says, don't remember that, don't think about that, but here's what you should be thinking about. But the Word of God is what? Not imprisoned. <laughs> I mean, this is an amazing reality. God's Word cannot be changed. It can't be, better, I should have put, cannot be contained. It cannot be contained. What is Paul saying? He's saying they can throw me in prison. They can try to shut me up. They can beat me. And he could have said, in a few weeks, they're going to separate my head from my body. 
But guess what? God's Word cannot be changed. It can't be chained. It can't be stopped. They may kill me, but His Word goes on. How did Martin Luther put this in, the, in his song, A Mighty Fortress? Uh, Let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also, this body, if I, if I get this wrong, correct me, this body they may kill, but His Word abideth still. God's Word cannot be stopped. It will accomplish the purpose for which He intends it. I read this quote, and I don't know who said it. It says, God buries His workers, but continues His work through His Word. And we all know, who have read through much of the New Testament, this is the story of the New Testament church. In Acts 12, 24, it says, but the word of the Lord continued to grow and to be multiplied. Just before that, James the apostle is put to death. Peter is thrown in prison and God miraculously delivers him. Why did one get put to death and one get miraculously released? I don't know. But this I know. The word of the Lord continued to grow and be multiplied. That's the story of God's redemptive work. And so, he says, remember, they can do what they want to you. They cannot stop my word. This has got to be one of the most frustrating things about being a God-hater. I mean, really, can you imagine? I mean, you read the early New Testament days when they tried to put the damper on the resurrection, paid some people off to lie, and all of that, and, you know, everything they did, it, it could not stop it. And, uh, and, and that's going to be realized in American culture. Try as they might, God's Word won't be stopped. There are people out there that He is going to call to Himself. They're going to get the Word. And the Word is going to change them, which is the next point. Verse 10, For this reason I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen so that they may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus and with it eternal glory. He says, here's something else you need to keep thinking about, Timothy. Keep at the forefront of your mind those whom God has chosen. Some of your translations will say elect. Now, now this whole idea really bothers some people. But I want to tell you, the fact that God chooses should give us the greatest encouragement and freedom to share the gospel of any reality and truth in Scripture. Because it doesn't ultimately rest upon me or upon you. Now, he makes this a vital part of this deal, but I don't have to get it perfect. Because my words and my way of presenting the Word is not what changes people eternally. It is God's Word that does that. In uh, 1 Thessalonians, the Apostle Paul wrote this. If you can go on to the next slide there. But we should always give thanks to God for you, brethren beloved by the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation 
through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth. It was for this he called you through our gospel, that you may gain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so, Paul is saying what Jesus said. Jesus said it this way, no one can come to the Father but the Father draw him. Or no one can come to me but that the Father draws him. And so the Father is drawing people to himself. And, and he says the Spirit will convince people of their sin and of the righteousness of God and that Satan has been judged by Christ. That's the work of the Spirit. What does the Spirit need to do that work? He needs the Word. He needs the Word. The sword of the Spirit is the Word of truth. And that's our great privilege. Our great privilege is to bring the Word to people so that the Spirit can do what the Spirit alone can do in the lives of the people that God is drawing to Himself. And so, Paul says, Timothy, just keep your eyes on the reality is that there's all kinds of people out there, and God's going to draw them to your, Himself. Just get out there and, and develop them. Share the Word. Be a part of what God is doing in their lives. Jesus said often, what? Lift up your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe to harvest. It's easy to keep thinking about the failures of the t- people that didn't respond or the people who threw you in prison or the people who cussed you out. Paul says, Timothy, do what Jesus did. Keep your eyes upon people. Keep looking for the people that God is going to bring to himself and be a part of their lives. Remember, remember those that are chosen that God is drawing to himself. As the Apostle Paul tells Timothy what to remember here, I just, can't, I just can't help but wonder if he wasn't rethinking his own spiritual development. Uh, I, I just think that that was always in his background. I mean, for one thing, he said, you know, it's a trustworthy statement that I'm a sinner, I'm the chief of all sinners. And I can't help but think that Paul was thinking and remembering back that as he had religious authority to take Jesus' followers and put them in prison and to harass them, and I think he was in charge of Stephen's stoning to put at least one of them to death, I can't help but think that, that, that uh, Paul was thinking, and they kept sharing the word with me. They kept responding like nobody else would. I mean, the words of Stephen we have recorded, how must those have haunted Saul in those days as he put another person in prison, as he killed another person? And he's saying, I was one of those. In fact, if you go back to chapter 1, he says, I was one of those from before the foundation of the world that God was going to draw to himself and all of those people I was beating up and persecuting and doing all that manner of thing, they just kept sharing the word with me. So guess what? When I was on the road to Damascus, I was ripe for the picking. When Jesus Christ showed up to me on that road, I knew, I knew. We often think that was a singular event. 
It wasn't a singular event. There's all these people along the way that he was inflicting suffering on. And when Christ called him, man. And I think he's saying to Timothy, Timothy, you grew up in this faithful home. Your grandmother and your mother, you probably can't identify with suffering like I can. I was on the other side of the equation. I inflicted suffering, and I'm a result of followers of Jesus staying in the suffering and sharing the gospel and living in a way that was foreign to me. I get that suffering is part of getting the gospel to people who don't yet know. Timothy, you grew up in a home, faithful home. You haven't maybe suffered like I did. You need to own that part of following Jesus. You need to own it because there's people like me out there who are going to say all manner of thing against you. They're going to call you all things. They may beat you up. They may fire you. and They may kill you. But God is calling them. And they are going to be saved. And so remember Jesus Christ. Remember and keep at the forefront not just the gospel, but it's my gospel. Remember that God's word can never be imprisoned. And keep your eyes on the people because amongst the people, God is going to bring people to himself. And one more thing, in verses 11 through 13, he says, you need to change your whole way of thinking about what is trustworthy. When a person becomes a follower of Jesus Christ, he literally turns things right side up. But it's so counterintuitive to the way we naturally think and what our world teaches us. So, so we have to change what we see as trustworthy. And so he gives us four, if you will, almost paradoxes here about what is trustworthy. And this could very well have been a song. It could have been like the Apostles' Creed that we quote today sometimes uh, that was a part of the Roman church. Uh, you can see some of it jumps right out of the gospel to the Romans that the Apostle Paul had written to him, and he's in prison in Rome. But he says, this is a trustworthy statement. If we died with him, we will also what? Live with him. If there's a point in our lives where we die to us being the Lord of our lives, if we die to our view of whatever reality is, and we embrace the reality that God is God, and Jesus Christ is the Savior, and we die to that, we die to our own life, and we become a follower of Jesus Christ, then we will live. Because we experience a life that comes from Him during the rest of our days on earth and for all of eternity. And so, don't be afraid of death. Live the life that comes from God. If we endure, we will also reign with Him. You talk about two extremes right there. Endure is the picture of staying under the load. 
if we stay under the load as a soldier, as an athlete, as a farmer, if we stay under the load, we will what? Get by? What's he say? If we endure, we will reign. And not just reign, but reign with who? Reign with Him! In this world, they will not recognize His reign, but the kingdom of God is coming, and we will reign with Him. I can't even imagine what that's going to be like, but I want it. I want it. If we deny Him, He also will deny us, just to make sure that there's another side to this equation. If we deny Him, He will deny us. Of course, Jesus said in Matthew 10, Everyone who confesses Me before men, I will also confess him before My Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies Me before men, I will also deny him before My Father who is in heaven. And, and Paul mentions several people by name in this letter who may have said, I'm a Jesus follower, but walked away and denied Him. It's a settled denial of who Jesus is. And when it comes judgment day, He will say, I never knew you. But, verse 13, if we are faithless, if you drift into a place of faithlessness like Peter did at his denials, what's the promise? He remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Jeremy well reminded us of this. Great is his faithfulness, not because he wants to, not because he can, but because it is who he is. He is who he is is. Hudson Taylor, a missionary to China many years ago, would often say, it is not by trying to be faithful, but in looking to the faithful one that we win the victory. Isn't that great? It's not in trying to be faithful, but looking to the faithful one that we walk in victory. So there's some things to think about. There's some things to keep on the front of our mind. Remember Jesus Christ. Remember Jesus Christ. Remember the gospel. Remember the Word of God cannot be contained. Remember that there are people that God is bringing to Himself, and we get to deliver the Word to them. We get to help develop them. And remember what is trustworthy and what is not. Well, let's just pause for a moment and see what application that the Lord may want to just seal to our own hearts and lives here. So just go ahead and bow your heads and just spend a moment in His presence.
Lord, thank you so much that you uh, have reminded us again how important it is uh, of what we think about. What we think about has so much to do with directing our lives and our confidence and, and what we accomplish. And Lord, while we have a lot of things to think about, may, may you, Lord Jesus, may you flavor everything. And may, may the gospel continue to hit us freshly and powerfully in our own lives. And may it course through our veins that we must share it. And may we recognize that they can reject us, but the word that we share, they can't stop that in the way that you're going to use it. And Lord, may we never forget that as we once were lost and maybe mocking and ridiculing you, many are still. And would you be pleased to use us in their lives? In fact, Lord, I would just be so bold to ask, would you use each one of us in this building this morning to knock on enough people's lives this year so that when we turn the corner into 2020, there would be two more people that we had the chance to be significant helps in their development to become followers of yours. All for your name's sake. And it is in the name of Christ we pray. Amen.